All right, guys, here we are. We are back once again. This is the Race Communique. This is Life in the Peloton, brought to you by our partner, Rafa. But more importantly, I am joined by veteran professional rider, Luke Durbridge from Jaco Alula. Durbo, welcome to the Race Communique again, mate. Thanks, mate. It's good to have, good to have, good to be here and good to have Tom back on. And of course, our other guest is Tom Southern, the big DS from EF Education First. Southern, welcome back. Fellas, nice to be back. Do I not get a veteran DS status? I'm a veteran DS. <laughs> Actually, you probably yeah, are now, aren't you? What are you? You guys are probably on par, years DSing, years riding. Well, how many years have you been pro, Durbo? Uh, 12. Southern DSing? 11. Durbo snuck in there first. Oh, well, there you go. That's that's why I said it. It's only normally yeah, 12, 12 veteran status comes in. Yeah. Ah, right. 12 is veteran status. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. <laughs> I, I was officially veteran status for two years of my career, but that's all I needed. Oh, guys. Well, let's just quickly catch up before we get going. Boys, what's been going on? Derbs, what's been happening with you the last few weeks since we spoke last time? Uh, what I've been up to, I went to Hamburg and Renewy or Benelux, as we spoke about last time on the podcast, and then um, and then I've just spent a week in Belgium, actually, uh, did four one-day races uh, from Sunday to Sunday, mm. so yeah, just literally got back uh, last night, late last night, and I just pop, I'm in uh, Italy, actually, for a couple of days with the missus, a uh, little holiday down in Italy here, so... Just catching oh, up there, so right, yeah, right. I was under the yeah. impression you were going to another race. No, no, no. I just thought last minute decision, and Mrs. met me here, and I flew into yeah Bergamo Airport at you know two a.m. last night, more or less, from the delays, and then uh, and then just got to the hotel now. So a couple of days here, and then uh, yeah, week of training, and then the last couple of Belgian one days back end of the month. So yeah, sort of not too much to go now. Only two races, but. Um, yeah, it was a good. It was a good stint up in Belgium, and uh, the weather was nice, and team was going well. So yeah, it was a it was a, it was a nice week to be honest. The old team's rinsing you right out towards the end of the season, aren't you? Getting every last drop out of you. Yeah, yeah it was alright actually. It was it was probably one of the best uh, blocks I've done up there. Actually, the team was motivated. Guys were actually fit, so uh, we could race quite well, and um, yeah, it was, it was an enjoyable week. Didn't get the victories, but a couple of podiums. So yeah, it was uh, it was a good week. Southern, what's happening on your end, mate? You're uh, just about to head off to a race, I think, aren't you? Yeah, I'm off to Luxembourg in about uh, about an hour, I think. Uh, so heading back out. I've actually had a bit of time since Burgos. I've had a bit of time uh, not at the races, uh, which has been nice because uh, I had a busy start to the year and then the tour and stuff. And so Burgos after that, then a bit more time at home, which has been good. Um, always goes by too quickly though you know you're always like oh yeah i've got three mm. weeks that's ages now and then all of a sudden it's like oh no hang on something's coming around you know start planning and then uh, it's done off again why is luxembourg now uh it used to be may i remember doing it in may yeah like years and years and years ago um i don't know why it's changed but looks like a good little i've been back for ages it looks like a good little race you know arden style mm. five days tt um some decent riders going there so should be a should be a good one. One hotel too, living the dream. Mm, it is good. They used to have a great prologue. It was, it was such a great atmosphere. I did it a few times up a cobble climb, and everyone was drinking wine and stuff. Really good atmosphere there. Tough little prologue, like three k or something. Is it still in it this year? 
No, it's, it's it's a longer time trial now. It's a tough time trial, but it's Ooh. it's it's a longer one, and it's like stage four. So the prologue's gone. It's a shame. Right. I, I remember that prologue. It was in the city, wasn't it? Right in the Luxembourg. Mm. Yeah, super nice, but it's gone now. Hey Mitch, so uh, quick quick question. So uh, what have you been doing? You've been doing those stupid challenges. How was Everesting? That's true. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. I have been doing it. <laughs> I've been busy, actually. Let's let's talk about something a bit more interesting. What my life? What's been going on? I just decided to take on two ridiculous challenges the last two weeks. Um, I thought it'd be a good idea to go and research, find out what this Everesting thing is. Everyone's been banging on about it, and all the pros try to take records. So I was like, "This is so dumb." I'm going to go and find out what this Everesting is. So I went away. I spoke with Andy Van Bergen. He's the guy who discovered it. I spoke with Lockie to find out what it takes to do a record, and then I said. Let's go and find out what it is. You're going to have to wait for the podcast next week because that is the Everesting <laughs> podcast. But that's the reason why I did it. I got through it. Let me say that much. Um, but then stupidly, I backed it up with doing a 50K trail run just two days ago. And thank God you guys, don't. I don't have to walk on this podcast because I wouldn't be able to. I am hobbling around. I've got six out of 10 black toes Whoa. they're gonna all my nails are gonna fall off so oh yeah i finished the challenge oh on sunday uh, on saturday i went across the line they said what are you gonna do next i said i'm not gonna do another challenge next weekend i might just do something normal and drink like 12 beers so basically turbo and me have got the easy life and you're just flogging yourself <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> welcome yeah. to retired life what, turbo it's waiting for you this mate. is why you retire mate this is why you retire not to do those things Oh, should we should we talk about some racing? And I think everyone wants yeah. to hear about it. Well, I definitely want to talk to you guys about it. The Vuelta España, my favourite race, has just finished yesterday. And it was actually a cracker. An absolutely awesome race this year. I really enjoyed race watching it. I was in a tipping competition, so I had even more sort of um, interest in the, in the race this year. I think we just got to go straight to the chase here. Yeah, we'll cut straight to the chase here. Sepkus, Yumbo Visma, top three in a Grand Tour this year. It's only ever been done once before by the Basque team, um, Cass, back in 1966. So essentially, I didn't think that had ever happened before. So I had to go back and look at it. When has a team ever finished top three in a Grand Tour? Because if you're not there to win it, what, it's just never really sort of plausible, that sort of result. Yumbo Visma win the Giro with Roglic, win the Tour with Vingegaard, win the Vuelta with Sepp. I think that's just amazing. And if you could have written a script for that, how beautiful does that look? Three different riders win it, and in the last one, you all finish one, two, three. It just looks amazing. But actually, when you look at the race, there was a little bit of, in my opinion, controversy with what happened there. You know, Sepp Kuss, he took he took the leader's jersey in a breakaway, and then there was this question... Do we support him? You know, this sort of, this unspoken question, do they support him? He's just a super domestique. Then there came this point, when's the right time to then actually back him as the leader of the race? And there was a bit of almost sort of unspoken attacking. My question to you guys is, what what do you think about this? What was the right move done by the team? Should they have supported him earlier? Did they support him enough? 
you know, what, 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 what sort of happened here, Tom? I'll, I might cut straight to you here because you're from the director's sort of position. As a, from the team's perspective, if you're in this situation with three leaders, with a Giro winner, the Tour de France winner, Sepp Kass not known for being a, you know, a Grand Tour winner, suddenly he gets the jersey. Do you get your two other riders to start riding for him? At what point? I mean, I don't think it should have happened immediately, but I think... The optics were pretty weird when um, particularly, like I, I think the Angrelu was the really strange one for everyone, you know, um, because everything else up until there was kind of like, uh, it sort of makes sense because obviously they put him down the road in that break. Um, and for me, for me, the mistake actually goes to the other teams of not valuing Kuss that highly on the day that he went into the break because I switched the TV on. They had seven minutes. Mm. I think Ineos and Quickstep were pulling and they were pulling pretty hard. And after the stage, they said, oh, no, it was fine. But like we always have this thing in a race where it's like, okay, if the race stops now, can we can we sort this out? Like, is this a good situation? So if it finishes with Kuss in front and the race, like that's never good because you have to claw that time back on him. Um, hmm. But the idea, I think, for Visma was that the other two would then move around him, expecting maybe Remco to be to not lose all that time and... He was just, he, he was the card for them, basically. But for me, it's kind of like, they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. Because if they had just ridden around yeah. with him and they'd finished every day with all three of them with their arms in the air, everyone would be sat here complaining now, going, the best rider didn't win. Uh, nobody mm. pushed him. I don't think he wanted to win like that. Um, I think... Maybe they overstepped by one day, but in general, they did the right thing because they kept the race going, uh, Visma. Mm. They kept it going. And you've got to think that it's easy to criticize those guys, but um, mm. if they hadn't have kept the race going and it had finished there, it wouldn't have been so good. Obviously, more comes into it. You know, you've got um, the egos of the guys, which, are, you know, they're going to be there. They all wanted to win. And I don't think any, any of them hid that. Um, mm. then they've you've got other things like I mean what bonuses are those guys on you, like they're probably missing out on quite a bit of cash by not winning and it's I guess there's also the angle you know like at the end of the day Roglic he's he won the Giro I'm assuming they said to him go away prepare and win the Vuelta so he's probably sitting there going hang on I've got my expectations my own personal expectations plus the team's got some kind of expectation on me to win He's probably thinking, well, this is a situ weird situation here. What am I supposed to do? Just watch all that training go away. But on the flip side, you know, this is something that I've heard a lot of people argue is that, you know, Sepp's continually working for these guys. He was there in the Giro this year. He was there in the Tour this year working for both of those guys. And all of a sudden, you know, the opportunity for these guys to give one back to him is, is presented on a, on a platter. So I can see both sides. Well, Derbo, what do you sort of see from the rider's perspective? I mean, I think they made a mistake after the time trial. Once Sepp had actually done, I think, like, they did the right thing until the time trial, and then when Sepp actually pulled out an amazing time trial to hold the jersey, and he still had, him like, a minute and a half on Remco still after the time trial. And then if you really think about it, like, Sepp, at one point has been stronger than Jonas and Sepp has been stronger than Rogelik. Because they have the jersey, he doesn't leave their side. 
So if Set was to have a bad day, they should go into the domestique role. And sure, one day Jonas might be stronger than Set, but that's why he toes him to the line. He waits for him. You know, like mm. Sepp has done that many a times in the third week. So I think once Sepp had got through the time trial, I just honestly think they should have just gone straight into support mode and just protected Sepp to the finish. You know, because maybe have one up ace up their sleeve, but I honestly think it was wrong from what they did from time trials onwards because, oh, I mean, sure, it would have been made it a boring race, but how many times have we seen a team that's dominant make it a boring race? Because it's just, it's about winning the bike race. It's not about how it looks on television. It's like, yeah, sure, you keep it together and that's boring, but, but you could also, would have won you, the race, you know? You could also argue the same the same argument over there. It's about winning a bike race. And they're like, we're not about here, exactly. about sharing each other and sort of going, we need to give one back to Sep and all this sort of stuff. At the end of the day, they're professionals. They're supposed to be winning a bike race. Yeah, and that's it. But I think we're, when it came into it, Jumbo Visma should have said, we want to win the bike race. And Sep at this current moment is in the jersey with a huge lead. And now Remco's gone just commit to winning the bike race with Sepp because he's currently put himself in the situation to be the best option. I think that anyway, you got you got like, to remember that like if you're not sure about the third week and you're trying to balance the egos of the other two guys, like they were obviously playing like a, a delicate balance. Let's let this guy have his little bit of this. Let's let this guy do this. We did say to um, Roglic he was going to miss the tour but he can do the Vuelta because they've got to think about keeping all of these guys together after this bike race, potentially. Maybe one of them moves now. And I think that would have been so difficult for their management team. All of a sudden, you've got this guy who's super reliable. He does everything he's asked. He's really, really good. And then he's put in a winning position and then he becomes all of a sudden a winner. And now you're like, we've got two other like champions next to him and we've got to tell them to, (laughs) to back right off. You gotta let them have their. You gotta let them run a little bit. Otherwise, they're never gonna forgive the team for that. They were all. If you'd stopped them after the TT, Roglic would be talking to other teams now. Vingegaard would have it in his head, maybe not to move now, but to move later. Maybe they don't believe in me, and the whole team starts to fall apart. So it's. It's such a difficult thing. The question is, I think the team, well, I'm not going to say it's going to fall apart now, but we've seen it time and time again where super domestiques suddenly get the sniff. Let's go back to Lance Armstrong times and we saw Tyler Hamilton shift teams and, you know, go, you know, I've, I want to have a sniff. Now, like, it's going to be very difficult and I know Sepp's a very humble guy recently just being on the pod and I just had a chat with him, but surely that's, he's just won it. It's not even like maybe I could win. He has won. How's he supposed to go back to just being a super domestique now and be happy with that? You know, maybe, I don't know, like now suddenly the flame's been lit. Surely he's got to be thinking now or other teams are going to be thinking, hey, at the Tour de France this year, there were three guys left on the mountain. Vingegaard, Bogacar and Sepp. Sepp's just shown he can time troll as well. He is the guy that probably could knock Vingegaard off. If there's anyone at the moment, that's what the, would be a natural way of thinking. I know you could easily argue against that, but at the end of the day, who else was with them on the on the mountains in the tour? There were the three. He's just now just won a grand tour. Surely teams are thinking, or maybe even himself, maybe I could step up. Well, he has stepped up already. Maybe I can keep 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 it going. I don't know. That's the, for me. That's the more concerning thought rather than say Rogelich moving on. The rumours around him moving. I think maybe Sepp's the one now going some big questions and some things he's got to sort out in his own head. Am I comfortable still being a super dom? 
Yeah, Ineos got to come with the checkbook out, aren't they? Well, they certainly need someone like that, don't they? Exactly. But think about it. It's like, oh, yeah, this guy's a winner now. I don't know. It, it does change a lot in everybody's heads. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, if they come with life-changing money, that's the big thing. Is is Sepp's been happy on that on that team for many many years? But you know, if someone comes, everyone sort of has a price in the end of the day. If they come and go, hey Sepp, you know, maybe he can consider trying to be a leader uh, in another team for you know double or triple the money he's on now. So that'd be that'd be hard. Well, another big sort of thing coming out of Vuelta really for me was Remco Evnepol. Um, you know, was it sickness? Was it pressure? That's the feeling I sort of had because clearly the form was there going up the road every other day and grabbing a handful of stages as well. This sort of, you know, understanding, and this is a question on the back of Sepp, but also is that expectation now. Now to be a winner, there's always that expectation. Once you've won once, you've got to come back and win again and understanding that pressure. That's what makes the the greats so good, the Frooms, you know, the, the you have Miguel Ingerains, the people who can win back to back to back. Understanding that pressure, Remco. Now, that's the question I have around it. What do you? What's your feelings around what happened with Remco at the Vuelta? At the end of the day, he had a pretty good Vuelta, but he wasn't where everyone thought he was going to be on the GC. Southern. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously he doesn't get all those that that last week if he was still on the GC, right? So the interesting thing for me is how he managed to to take that defeat and then come back and actually do something because there's a lot of guys who get knocked off GC and then just lose their heads totally mm. um, it came back like immediately and you could see once he crossed the line after he'd won that stage the relief of the pressure because it's not just him who's put the work in up at an altitude camp to be ready for the Vuelta it's his whole team he had that whole team there for him to win the race and you got all that on your shoulders and it all falls apart and then Everyone you're sat with on the bus is going, ah, oh, like deep down is like, oh, this dickhead. I've been, at, you know, I've been away for three weeks or whatever. And they might support you or whatever, but there's a part of them that would feel like, damn it, it's over. And then he comes back and says to them, well, check this out. I'm going to just be, mm. I'm going to be the race the, from here on. Going to get the KOM jersey. Going to get the KOM. Better. I'm going to win. St- and I think he did that for his team and his teammates because and that was pretty impressive as, as like a champion thing to do. Mm. I've got no idea what was wrong with him. Um, you know, at the Giro, it was, it was clear it was COVID. Um, here you can see sort of... Long COVID? Is it long COVID still? So what you're suggesting? He's throwing long COVID out there. <laughs> I mean, personally, I think it was pretty pretty strange that he could bounce back like the next day if it was something you know I mean we, we saw that at the tour with Pogacar like he had three bad days in a row more or less like bad days he was still second in the time trial but you could see something was off for like a couple of days in a row um, and then he sort of slowly got out of that hole and then won the last stage so it was just for me it was it was crazy to think that you know he, he lost, you know, 27 minutes and then the next day won the stage. So it was just a bit like, I'm not sure what's what's happened there. Um, don't know, because, like, sickness doesn't go away in 24 hours like that, you know? Like, I don't don't think that that works that way. But anyway, it was it was it did show that, yeah, I'm, I'm glad he did it for his teammates, which is like what Tom said. But 
it was interesting. Did we? I don't know if we'll ever find out what really went on that day. Mm, I, I don't think we can underestimate like his age and, and the expectation coming out of the whole Belgian camp and who he is and his ability and all that sort of stuff, being world champ and all this sort of expectation bubbling around that. And, and I think just still managing that pressure as, as an actual superstar champion that he is. And this is a question I always have for those Belgian guys, the Tom Boonins of the world, how they grow up in, you know, that environment, Durbo and Southern as well. When you go mm. there, it's all on you. And even just being an outsider Australian, you feel that. You, know, you, you come in, you're a superstar as a cyclist. Imagine growing up there as that kind of rider, Remco. So I think there's something in that. And I'm just speculating. Um, I've got no idea whether that's true or not, but I can imagine he would be feeling that kind of pressure um, I guess another element, just to just to sort of leave the Vuelta behind us, is there are some other races going on at the moment, and I love how they sort of get swept under the carpet a bit. But some of my most favourite races of the year were the Quebec, Montreal, the Canadian races. They were on as well. And we saw a goodbye to our good friend, Daryl Impey, um, from South Africa, from Israel Premier Tech. He did his last race over there at Montreal, Um it was a bit emotional for me to see that because I could sort of draw that, you know, that feeling, that similarity finishing late in the year with a race like that. Um, farewell to Daryl and a bit of a shout out to him. But Derbs, it was a, it's a funny sort of thing. Something that we were discussing is this this change in sort of retirement and this sort of shift in the peloton at the moment. Um, I get the feeling the careers are going to be a bit shorter. I think Daryl had a career about 15 years a bit of a long career in these day and age. What's your feeling now with, um, and also you, Tom, the feeling now with the careers and the way racing's going and that sort of thing, Durbo, do you think this is going to be a new trend that, you know, Daryl was one of the longer ones. We're going to just see the careers getting shorter and shorter. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we just spoke about Remco, for example, and the pressure. Um, now, that guy's come on as a 19-year-old and straight away started winning. Um, and, like, that sort of... What's expected, like Tom said before, it's, you know, you got to do better than you do before and you would do better again and again and again and again. You got to keep stepping it up. So from a, and you don't have the the life maturity, I guess, to handle mm. that, um, to realize that, you know, there is setbacks and then you can come back from it and, you know, you know, more to life sort of mentality where at that point at 18, 19 years old, you don't know any better. You just think this is it and this is who I am as a person and my identity and all that sort of stuff. So you're put, putting a lot of pressure on a lot of young guys. They can perform and that get their results. Uh, but can they sustain that? For example, you know, maybe Remco's a, the next Valverde and he goes till 42. But I think that's a really rare case. And I, I personally think I could see the races getting... Uh, the, the races, I could see the uh, careers getting shorter just from speaking with, you know, teammates of mine as they come on. You know, like, the racing is getting so insanely hard that it doesn't matter what race you go to from, you know, for me in Belgium mm. to the Vuelta Espana to the World Championships. Every time you clip in, you go, this this could potentially be your hardest day on your bike you've ever done. And that sort of never really happened before. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think the pressure, the way the racing is going, uh, the way the young guys can perform, I personally think that the careers are just going to get shorter. Are you um, are you telling us something, mate? You're setting, you're setting yourself up here for a little 
gateway out. Just like, yeah, look, yeah, that's that's a, that's why I'm actually just deciding to announce my retirement uh, here, everyone. <laughs> yeah, I've just I've just bought a little plot of land in Italy here, and I'm I'm actually not leaving. So, uh... <laughs> well, Southern, the thing is, you're you're the one putting the pressure on. You're one of those guys adding that pressure, oh, building that pressure. Favor? You're the Don't guy. You're yeah, the pressure Southern maker. Yeah, Southern. Oh, Tell yeah. me, you why are you putting so much lives. pressure on these young guys? What's the go? <laughs> Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, it's, it's not just it's not just it's not just the racing. I think it's the training. I mean, how much time do people spend at altitude these days? It's basically, for, for, you know, a few years ago, let's say that the top GC guys would go to altitude before a Grand Tour, and now the guy who basically starts pulling the first on the first road stage is going to have been at altitude. Yeah, guaranteed. Got your hand up there, Derby, volunteering. <laughs> Um, yeah, the, the shit kickers, the shit kickers go to altitude as well now. Well, otherwise you can't get through the Grand Tour. But, then, but, that, but that adds to it because it's like not only you mm. go into a race clipping in, thinking, "Man, this is going to be hard." But before that race, you've probably been, you know, at a training camp. So, mm. I mean, it's it's going to get harder and harder, I think. And I just keep like layering pressure on. I think the one thing is that there is a, still an element of experience that's really helpful. Like we've. I think a lot of teams sort of miss that uh, that window where I was up in Belgium last week and we had some some uh, stage years and they've got engines, uh, no question. But the ability to race, they don't they they miss that. And and we've signed riders that are in their thirties. Um, one guy in particular this year, we signed Elmar Reines, and he's been fantastic. He's been in a small Belgium team pretty much most of his career, and then we signed him, and he's. He just understands racing. He knows positioning. He understands, uh, you know, echelons. And, and he's just a hard bastard because most of the time he just races with the, on a deck chair on the side of the road. So nothing really phases him um, either. So, you know, there is this element where teams can go, okay, let's get young guys, young guys, young guys, young guys, young guys. But then there needs to be these pops of experience and pops of guys that just get it done. Because as you know, Tom, when it comes to September onwards – Every young rider doesn't want to race anymore because they're tired and they want to go home. So you need just a few hard guys that just go, okay, they, this is good because they've got a bus actually to have a shower in after the race. It's plus. Um, you know, that their bike's fast and the mechanics are good. So, and, you know, there's a chef occasionally. So, mate, to them, it's it's great. Um, I'm, I'm seeing so you, a really you do good... these guys. Well, I'm seeing a really good opportunity here is just stagiaire, really old guys like Nico Eckhout and, you know, Gerd Umlop. Give them stagiaires every year at the end of the year and that, that'll cover your covers sort of the end of the season race and run, run your young guys in the early season and just stagiaire sort of 38, 40-year-old guys. So what you saying? Especially Dutch? if there's free, especially if there's free meals. I mean, <laughs> yeah. they'll come running. Free, man. free kit, free <laughs> buses with showers. Free. Apparently, sure. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> Derbo, I'm gonna, I'm gonna handball over yeah. to you, mate. Pelo chat, mate. Tell us about what are the trends? What's sort of some things happening in the peloton at the moment that you've picked up in the last month that we can chat about? Right. So we're going to touch on probably two weeks. I mean, I was going to talk about the young riders retiring, but we've, we've covered that now. Um, I'm going to touch on some aerodynamic trends that's been running through the peloton at the moment. Um, just a few little for those geeks out there that want to um, improve their local club TT. Anyway, the what's happening in the aerodynamics at the moment is radios 
down the front of your skin suit. Um, right. I think a lot of people would be asking questions when they saw Remco win the World Championships with pretty much looked like a, well, I don't know. It's like a, a big, uh, well, it, it was pretty much like a big water bottle stuffed down the front of his uh, jersey. And this has been happening a lot with triathlon for a long time now because obviously they need nutrition. So, you know, water, you know, on these hot, you know, Hawaiian Ironmans. And they actually start to fill in the gap between the chest and the arms and the legs. Mm. And filling in those gaps now we've seen from the uh, wind tunnel is actually making a huge difference. Uh, but wasn't, so, this, wasn't this illegal already? Weren't people like Tony Martin and that putting camelbacks down the front full of air? Yeah, but camelbacks are illegal, but a radio is not illegal. So you could put so, like essentially an old Motorola brick down there. <laughs> this is what's becoming a bit ridiculous, as you've seen a few people lately. It's just they've been wrapping radios in towels and just <laughs> stuffing them down their chest. And uh, so... We've been we've been sort of looking into this, and I, I mean, the UCI are going to have to do something by next year. But it's uh, it's proven that to show some really really good results. But I mean, I watched Renewy the other day, and you know, I, I had a tiny little radio, and I just wrapped it in something and stuffed it down my jersey. And then I looked on the TV, and I saw this guy, and like honestly, this was this was a beach towel down the front of his front of his chest with the, with the radio in it about this big, Well, ideally what you know? you'd want to do is wrap it in bubble wrap, wouldn't you? Because it would be sort of lighter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah, it was uh, – that, that's one of the things that's been, that's been you, happening at the moment. Have you guys been dabbling into that in, at EF, um, Tom? Uh, I haven't personally ever seen any bubble wrapping of radios uh, down the front yet, <laughs> but uh, – Luxembourg, there's always time. I'm going to take a beach towel and uh, 15 meters Before of bubble wrap. Out. <laughs> yeah, but then the uh, so then moving on from from the bubble wrap is the um, the undershirts. Actually, that's been another trend in the peloton, and we've seen that a few companies have brought out undershirts, and they're they're not necessarily an undershirt. They're more like a bra strap, um, and you. It's got these ribs on it that you put underneath and then oh. you put a jersey over the top. And the the idea behind the ribs and the uh, and the and the jersey is it vibrates it creates like a uh, a pocket, an air pocket that vibrates and that seems to have the 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 effect on the wind that causes, you know, lower CDA for example. So um You've seen a lot of these guys. They after the race, they take the jersey off and they've got these tiny little arms on their on their underneath, and then they've got the jersey over the top. So, yeah, you see them in the peloton quite often these days now with these these undershirts. Are so, they hot? Uh, yeah, that's that's one element. Um, but they are just a sleeve. So it's a sleeve goes across the back, and then another sleeve. All oh, right. So it's like a man's um, ear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's more like a shoulder strap support you know for good posture but with like ribs on it um right, right but yes yeah, so that's another little thing that's been going in the peloton and you sort of see who's up or up for the breakaway you know um what are we talking sort of- what are we talking wattage here are we talking like half a watt you know and all this sort of crazy stuff you know put your socks up it's like 10 watts and all this i love these numbers that get thrown out what are we talking wattage well the thing is 
it's it's so personal that you can't really put a real number on it. Like they they would call five watts or something, you know, five watts here, five watts there, sort of like the talk, you know. If you get five watts here, five watts there, five watts there. So, but I mean, it's pretty difficult to in a, in a in a peloton to really get an accurate number on that, mm. and everyone's so different, so you can't really tell you, but. There is something to be said about, you know, placebo is one of the most powerful effects possible. So if you've got something on that you feel fast and, you know, people say it's fast, it's like I, I wear Aero socks. And, I mean, I'm not sure even if they work. But, you know, I put them on, my ankles look lean, I'm they ready to stupid. go. So <laughs> They don't even look good and they don't work. They look great. They look great. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, what's, uh, that's what's happening in the aerodynamic front. Um then moving on to safety, actually. Mm. So I'd like to touch a little bit on safety and just like get your guys' opinion on this, is that this year we've sort of seen more races cancelled or neutralised um, than we probably ha- ever have. Well, ever have, but like it just seems to be more in the media. It seems to be more out there, um, safety, safety this, and we're putting pressure on the UCI. We've got a new CPA president, which is a good friend of ours, Adam Hansen, um, and he's, you know, really pushing to protect the riders, and he's doing a, a, a great job. But I just sort of would like, for example, when it comes to a neutralisation during a stage, from your side of watching on TV, Mitch, like, is that sort of confusing for you guys? Are you guys, like, super upset or is it more like, ah, you know, the it's good that the riders were protected safely or, like, what what, what is your opinion on no, that? No, I think, look, honestly, as I drift further and further away from the peloton, you want to see more gnarly stuff. You want to see colder races, hotter <laughs> races because it's more entertaining. I get it now. At the end of the day, you're entertainers, you know. Dance, monkey, dance because that's all we <laughs> want to see. And I wish they did bring back that, what was that silly series we used to do, the Velon series, where it was just like hell on earth. Oh, no. Hammer know? series. It was the like sprinting on TT Hammer bikes. series. It was like the 2020 cricket. I hated racing it, but I would love to watch that now because it was so silly, stupid. But that's what I think. Like I think as a, as, a, as a fan watching the sport, unfortunately, everyone remembers the ridiculous San Remo because, oh, my God, look how much they're suffering. They can't even hold the bikes. Guys are crashing everywhere. Gent Wavelgum when the wind was out of control. You know, that's the stuff you want to see. Um, And the reality is, you know it's not right, but that's what you sort of want to see. So I know it's probably everyone's not agreeing with me, especially the riders, but, you know, less neutralizations. But I think on the riding side of things, you just don't want – the race to get pulled up and stopped every two seconds or, you know, every other stage is cancelled. It, it cuts the continuity out of the, the racing or, you know, even it sort of slims out the hard man factor. To go back to what you were saying, it's just going to be a whole bunch of softies out there, isn't it? Well, I, I think, I mean, I'll ask your opinion on this, Tom, afterwards, but I, I honestly think that if it's just clear cut, you know, if it's terrible weather and they just cancel the stage or they do the neutralization. It's just like it's the indecision that is probably frustrating for the rider and also for the spectator because if you know tonight the vault is not on, well, you just don't watch it tonight, do you? And you'll get over it and the next stage will be on tomorrow. You know what I mean? But if you're yeah, like there going, but the I terrible up weather thing, The terrible weather thing just keeps going on and on now. It's like, oh, you know what? It's going to be 28 and a little bit windy. Let the boys have a rest today. Too hot. <laughs> 
You know, it's just like Jesus. <laughs> oh, Are you here to race or not? Are you gladiators? Are you not entertained? <laughs> I'm, so, but how do you keep the? I mean, I, I've got directors in my own team, Tom. But how do you actually keep the you know the rider on track or the information coming that this is what's happening? Because it's probably just as confusing for you as it is for us. Yeah, it's it's pretty. Um, it, it can be very frustrating in my position because. I mean, the message I always give the riders is to is to not listen to any rumors until something's confirmed. And one of the hardest times of this is when, because like with the CPA, you, like you guys have a chat and often like it's rumbling on in the evenings or the day before a stage because people know the weather's going to be bad and like they're sending around photos of um, snow on the road. And like, so firstly, the riders are up sort of stressing in the evening the night before and you don't know as a rider whether or not the stage is going to happen. Generally, once you start going down the track of wanting it or thinking it might be cancelled, as a rider, I get the feeling you want it to be cancelled. And you, and then when it, if it's not, you're kind of like, oh, shit, then it's hard. Mm. So what I try and protect the riders from is going too far down the track of feeling like something's going to be changed and then it's not and they have to race. Um, and so... <laughs> One of the best things I've seen done this year was um, at the tour when there was that big crash and they instantly stopped the race early in the stage. And that was dealt with so well because they did it over race radio immediately with no hesitation. So we could say to the riders on the radio, this is what's happening. The race is stopped. Take your time. It's going to restart. And they told us in the cars, okay, we're going to restart in five minutes. So... But the message I gave to the riders in the interim was like, please don't go and gossip with someone who sat over there who thinks that this might happen or that might happen because it's very distracting and you do have a race mm. to do after it. And I, I think it, it, it's tricky because it's always quite late when it happens. But I think that there needs to be like a a much clearer procedure because it, it, I hate it when I hear from... Alberto Betiol, who's busy with the CPA, are they going to do this tomorrow? And so, well, I haven't heard anything from the race organizer and you're a rider and you're telling me this. I'm not going to tell that to other riders before ahead of time and then it doesn't mm. happen. So, I mean, as a DS, you, unless you're very tight with the race organizer, you're quite often very much out of the loop of that because the riders are very involved with the CPA then the race organizers are discussing with them and you might have one representative of, of the DSs and to be fair Matt White's really good with this whenever something comes up with weather he'll go to every team and say uh, like closed um, it, nobody's going to know which way you voted do you want to change this or not because it also comes into the element from my position do we want a day off having to defend holding the jersey do we mm. want to try and get the jersey today so all DSs also have this kind of like how could we manipulate this it's just, it's natural because it's a race. So it's tricky. I always remember in the Peloton, you could use that as well to, to sort of get guys' heads out of the game. You know, exactly what you said. You, oh, did you hear tomorrow's cancelled? How good's this? You know, and you start spreading that whisper, trying to play, you know, mental games with all the riders. Um, cause it, I did like that all the said, time when I was to... racing. I was like, no, no, it's going to be a null. Don't worry, guys. It's going to be yeah, a null. Yeah, no, tomorrow's off, definitely. Yeah. Didn't you hear? <laughs> Snow up the top, it's definitely off, 100%. Yeah, we're, we're not even and going ha- out. And half the times, half the times it gets cancelled the day it doesn't need to be cancelled. Yeah. And just like, like you know, it was quite funny. Well, this year, Paranisa cancelled the stage because of wind, you know, and uh, 
And we went out training that day and was like, it's not even that bad. Like, I can't believe they even cancelled this stage. It was the sunny. F- the fact and then- that you went training, you know, proves the point. But to me- yeah, yeah. But then the funny thing was, the wind was so bad that a, like a an in, like a fridge box blew out of a, a front yard and and wiped out a teammate of mine. So, you know, it was we're like, okay, well, probably shouldn't have. That's karma. We shouldn't have raced today. So, you know, you damn if you do, damn if you don't. But yeah, it is a confusing thing to, to to get right. The ones that get me are the ones that are after the fact. So remember the tour, the COVID year when it was really wet on the Nice stage. And basically, yep. all the riders fell off all over the place. And then the peloton said, right, let's neutralize it. It's like everyone's already fallen off. We've, you've done it. doesn't matter now. It doesn't yeah. matter now. They're like the damage, it's, it's too late. And then some right, you know, Lopez went, didn't want to neutralize it. So he went well, and rode into well, a I road sign. Well, I think the riders who hadn't fallen off sort <laughs> yeah. of went, you know what? I, I better just cut my losses. I'm getting out. Hey, yeah. hey let's stop this race now. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. You guys exactly. all right? How's, how's the road rash? I'm going to stop the race now. Now you've hurt yourself. I'm just going to, let's just chill. Going to talk about uh, some big stuff happening at the minute. It's obviously transfer season. So 1st of August, everyone can talk about the new transfers for next year, um, which personally like annoys me a little bit because from it seems like from from the tour onwards once the riders talked about going to another team he already kind of belongs to that team you know it's like Sivakov's mm. flying now in Italy and everyone says oh yeah Sivakov's won but he's going to UAE next year you know mm. so one of the things I find really interesting about this time of year for you guys especially inside the bus Luke is how that sort of affects you within a team knowing that someone's going to leave and I mean Mitch you would have dealt with it as well in your career so take us a little bit inside what happens when you know someone's leaving from your team well I was just going to say one thing I've really found funny too is when someone's coming to your team and I always remember this when we had Ivan Santaramita come across to um, Green Edge and he, we're in the Vuelta and he was coming and hanging out at our bus every morning and he was riding on BMC at the stage and he'd even come into the bus and we we're sort of like, hey, what's going on here? Like, Because we didn't even know he'd signed, but we gathered you know, during the race that he was on our team. And it was just so weird because it was sort of like he'd given up on his own team and he was already sort of part of our team. There's still half the three quarters of the Vuelta to go. And we're like, I guess this guy's sort of on our team. And I, I actually noticed sometimes too in the race you didn't know why some sometimes some guy was sort of letting you in on a wheel or sort of helping you out or giving you a cheeky push or grabbing a bottle for you and passing it across from you from another team and it always be in the world and you're like that's so weird like you know centrometer or trentin or something gave me a bottle today like oh yeah he's riding on our team next year you're like oh so i guess we're teammates already are we you know yeah exactly i, I find that um the, it almost needs to be the case of like once you sign the contract after the tour, you just actually go to that team. Yeah. You know, like it just like literally let's why are we so, you know, confirm that December has to or whenever has to be it. And and even the point of like not being able to ride their bike until January 1st, like cycling doesn't start in January 1st, only maybe in Australia. So no one really knows what the hell's going on. So pretty much just after the tour, if you sign the contract, you know, Sivakov off to UAE and – then he starts winning for UAE and that's it. You know what I mean? It just seems to be strange. I mean, I, yeah, I have the same feeling um, about that. I mean, the one person who was different, Mitch, was uh, actually TJ when he signed for EF and he was at BMC 
and we were at the tour mm. of Britain and it was like he was obviously coming to ride for us the next year and I was like oh okay like maybe he's going to say hello but he completely blanked the our whole team like as hard as he could for uh, the whole week so out of respect of his contract good yeah. on him yeah good on you TJ <laughs> I mean, it, it is sad. Yeah, sorry, sorry. It is sad when you find a rider that are, is going, but they are still performing or they are still a leader. You know, I found that like when we found out Caden Groves was leaving to Alpson last year, he was still at the Vuelta, and and he's a good friend of mine, and like he's gone on to amazing things at Alpson there as well. So good on you, Caden there. But it's just, it is tricky to support him in a way, and then everything you do, you know that like as a as a worker that. He's not going to, he's not going to be there next year, and he's going to go do, you know, he's going to go cheat on you with another team. You know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> sort of, that's the way it feels when you, especially when it's a, it's not a mute, it's a sad leave. You know, there's there's ones that are like, okay, it's time for you to go, that's fine, but when it's like actually like, oh, don't go, don't go, then you, that that really does hurt. You know, that, and and I think it hurts them and it hurts us, but sort of the way cycling goes, but that's tricky. Yeah, and I mean, like, I wonder if it's the same with people, I mean, sort of switching off a little bit to their own team. Like you said, Mitch, it's kind of, you know, if you're expecting your leader to go for a gap in a, you know, a dangerous finish and he just kind of thinks, well, I've got a contract now. Why am I going to bother? Do you ever have that sort mm, of feeling that, mm. the, like, you've had people that are like, oh, this guy's not really putting in because his, his head's already left the team, you know? Well, it's a, it, I was in a funny situation myself when I was leaving Green Edge um, going across to EF. And at that point, you know, I hadn't confirmed a contract. I was still looking for a contract. And the team was quite surprised. They told me they were going to let me go. And they were quite surprised I was still willing to do the job as a teammate. They're like, oh, that's strange. Mitch is still yeah. helping Daryl in Quebec. And he's still working as a teammate. They thought I was going to try and dog the team. I was like, hey, guys. I'm a domestique. I'm employed as a domestique. The best way for me to get another contract is to show what I can do. I suddenly, suddenly just can't become a winner and another team's going to just go, oh, did you know Mitch can just win like Quebec and Montreal? Why don't we just grab him? If I could have won Quebec and Montreal, I would have done that years ago. So I found that quite funny. The team thought that I was just going to suddenly not do what I was really good at doing which was leading out which was riding on the front whatever it was because that was the best way for me to show other teams hey i'm good at what i do that's why to get me so i have found that funny when other riders don't do that and they're like you know what the best way to get one up this team is to just be an absolute dog of a guy but the new team is also seeing you be that guy and they're thinking oh, do we, why do we sign this guy? He's hopeless. You know, the best way you can go to a new team is by performing the best like Sivakov has and you go in feeling awesome about yourself. The team's like, we have just got this one. I think that's even a better one up to your old team to go, hey, look what you just let go. Yeah. I'm awesome. Getting super hot just before you break up with someone. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there was a couple of things I actually wanted, like specific things I wanted to touch on. The first one to me that popped out when I was looking at through the transfers and stuff was Trek. I mean, they've they've made mm. some big signings. They've got a list here. I've got it here. They've got Teo, uh, Verona, Gibbons, Fellini, Consoni, Conrad, Baggioli, and Jonathan Milan. I mean, that's eight new names coming in. That's that's quite a, that's quite a shift um, in a team. Roglic too. Uh, probably Roglic coming in. You heard it here first. But like around that, my sort of question would always be that, you know, what's it like being in a team when 
eight new riders come in and, and what happens mm. there I mean Durbo you've actually been in the same team your whole career so you would have seen more, more than you transferring it would have been you on the receiving end of riders coming in and how does that feel and as well do you then like look at that and go oh so and so's coming maybe I should make myself better at doing this or that because I can help them or is that something the team already say to you how's that sort of changed from that side I mean, for me, I actually find it, I don't actually enjoy that period of time when you rock up to training camp and you've got eight new signings because you have 30 guys and eight new guys have come in and especially when we've worked quite hard at Green Edge and Mitch, you know this as well, it's like, like our, we're pretty renowned for our culture, like it's actually, it's actually, good, it's great fun, you know, and then and, uh, when you bring in eight new guys, unless you bring in eight new sort of uh, English-speaking, you know, Australians or, or Brits or Kiwis. And it, it's it's a bit of a, a time where, like, okay, this is a big shift. Like, how is this actually going to work? And for me, I like to just try and get to know each person. But at a training camp, you don't get to know eight riders. And all of a sudden, you might be in a highly pressure situation with this guy. Um, we're, we're helping him out. And you don't really know him. So it's a big call from the team. Um you know, it's a big call to change so many riders. Um, I think potentially the best way is to, if you are to m- move a team to, a, you know, like a Jumbo Visma direction or shift, is they went came from being not so good to, to where they are now, is they didn't necessarily cut their whole team and re-sign all these different riders. They slowly shifted the mentality of how they were going to do things. And then if people were on the ship to go forward with it, then they kept them, you know, and, and rather than going, okay, let's just clear out everything because what we did before was completely wrong and we'll get 10 new riders and we'll make this super team. And, you know, all of a sudden, like, that's way too many personalities to bring in at the one time. Um, mm. You really just need to go, Trek Lidl, we're going to sign Teo, for example, and this is the direction we're going. And we're going to give Elison and we're going to give Juan Pay Lopez and we're going to give all these guys to, to get around him and to, to turn into this, you know, domestique for Taya. And look, by the next year, if they haven't got to that point or they haven't reached the level they needed to be, then then then, then you move them on slowly. But I honestly think this whole, like, let's wipe the slate clean, let's be a super team, has it ever really happened? No, like Jumbo Vision built over, I don't know, six years it took them to probably get to where they are now. The you thing know, is, it probably, so, it probably yeah. installs a bit of fear to the rest of the riders who made the cut. You know, just so you clear out half your team, you're like, oh, Jesus, what's going to happen next yeah. year? You know, the guys who make the cut, they're sort of probably thinking they're a trek. Jeez, I'm probably going to be on the chopping block next year. Good or bad, maybe could lift them. Maybe could produce better better performers. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's a big shift. We've done the same thing at EF before in the past and uh... – I think you had been there once or twice, Mitch, when we changed eight, eight riders because we did it a few times. But it takes a takes a bit of work to make sure that that you know, the culture can continue through all those guys. And uh, you know, it's not not every signing is going to be a good one either. You know, hmm. so yeah, I think I think it's a very important point that you said there, the culture thing. And 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 EF's a good example. Um, Green Edge or Jayco is a really good example. Two teams that have a very strong identity. Um, and they're two teams that would be very concerned about the culture. Trek, are they a team that's known for their cultural identity? I don't know. So maybe that will work there. Who knows? 
One thing while we're on this that I spotted a couple of people doing this year uh, in the transfers was, uh, was it Warren Bargee um, is going back to his old team at um, DSM from IKEA. And uh, Hugo Hofstetter also leaves IKEA to go back to his old team, Israel. Um, it's already happened this year, but Harm Van Hook went um, DSM to Lotto and is already back at Lotto. I was wondering about what it's like when a rider leaves a team and then comes back. I mean, you would have seen it with Matthews at Green Edge. Um, we had it with Betsyol at going to BMC for a year. Is it just a case for the riders that the grass looks a bit greener and it's not as good in a different team? Like, And is it weird when they come back? Your ex-girlfriend coming back after cheating on you, you know? Oh, well, yeah, personally, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a bit of a tricky one because, I mean, we've had it with um, Cameron Meyer left to go to Dimension Data and then came back to Green Edge as well. And he left as a rider that was a GC contender and then went away and then sort of realised that, okay, this is not really what I want to do or who I am as a bike rider, more an opportunist, a leader, etc. And then we re-signed him as a different rider, for example. So it's sort of like clean the slate a little bit. Like it was like we had this idea that this is what he was going to be and then he went away and it was only him going away for us to realise that we now to bring him back as like a, you know, a different role and that was really, really good. Um, Matthews was, I think, the grass was greener uh, going to DSM. He thought that the grass was greener. And him coming back, he he really, really enjoyed coming back. You know, from, from what I think, it was just like, I've come home, you know. And so what that, about, that, was, that was good. And for, What about from a management side of things? I can see, sorry to interrupt, Durbo, because I could see actually you could get the rider cheaper. You know, it's like, oh, welcome back, buddy. So now the deal is different, you know? You want back in? How about you take half your money? And then maybe we can talk about it. <laughs> well, Matthews was a bit different yeah. because, he, yeah, he, he, he won the green jersey with DSM and all these stages of the Tour de France. So, like, it wasn't like it, I don't think he came back for uh, Nixon jerseys, let's please say that. But um, the I will say that when, when Matthews came back, it was like, it was actually really good for the team and, and it was the right timing and, and it was the right move for, for us because we needed someone to step into that role um, and, and be that leader. And, and they came back with, I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing that they go away, they learn something and they always come back in a, in a, in a way that's slightly, you know, they, they, they appreciate what they had, which is really nice for me to see because I haven't left. So when I see someone go and they want to come back, then you were like, well, obviously, what what's here is is good. Like I haven't actually looked over the other side of the fence, but actually knowing that this team's is good, that that's a good thing. And I spoke to other riders who have left this team. They're like, yeah, well, it's good here, but it's not it's not Green Edge, you know. And that's common. Like that's quite a common thing for people to say. So, yeah, I'm. I mean, I think it was good that we got Matthews back, and I don't. I don't think it really changes too much. People have a job to do. They get over it quite quickly, you know. It's just sort of like we're here to win races and bringing Matthews back regardless how he left. We knew he came back to do a job and that was, that was, that was it and it's been a good, good move. All right, boys. 
let's cut to it because we're running out of time here and we've talked enough cycling for one episode. Let's cut straight to the quiz, the most important part of the communique. Boys, you ready? I've got a good one for you this week. Yeah. All right, I'm going to start with, this is something everyone should know. What exactly are the sponsors that are the title sponsors of these teams? And if you know what I mean, what are the companies that sponsor these teams? What do they do? I'm going to start with one. Just jump in when you know it. Either yell out Durbo, Southern, whatever you want to say, Turbo, Southern, if you want, whatever your, whatever your buzzer, buzzer is. Let's start with it. I've only got three of these. The team is Alperson de Kunick. Southern? What is de... Okay. <laughs> Southern, what is de Kunick? Windows. Oh, you're going to have to be a bit more specific than that. Window frames. They are windows. They're special windows that let light through. Oh, I'll give you a... Derva, can you... Do you know any better than that? No, I don't know. Other than they install windows, I don't know. I would have said windows too. Got to be faster no, I'll give the you buzzer. a half point, half point, Southern. They are plastic and composite windows and door systems producing energy efficient vinyl windows and door systems started in Belgium, but now they're worldwide. I think that was so pretty, not far off. pretty clear in my answer when I said windows, Mitch. Okay, all right, yeah. num- number two. All I heard when your answer was Windows, Mitch. So number two. I think you're full point to Southern. The team is Sudal Quickstep and the sponsor is Sudal. What do they do? Oh, um, uh, Luke, Derbo. Yeah. I think, oh, I could be complete. Sudal. Is it like a pregnancy test? Oh, he's got it wrong. Bam, I know it. That's ser- seriously wrong. It's glue. Yeah. More specific. It's like a adhesives for building. Oh, yeah, you've got it. Well done. Well done. It's silicon and adhesives. Turns over about 9 million euros a year. Distributes about 140 countries. And it is from Belgium also. And the last one, guys, number three, a very old one, Cofidis. The team is Cofidis. The sponsor is Cofidis. Southern? Tom Southern. Yep, Southern. It is it's going to be three nil. credit by phone. You ring up and you say, can you lend me some money? And they say, yes, we'll give you some money. It's going to be 1,785% APR and you'll never it is pay a- them back. And they do personal auto <laughs> contracting, home improvements, weddings. It's a French company, 2,000 employees, 2 million customers, but only in nine European countries. So not worldwide, but it's one of the oldest sponsors in the sport. Let's punch on. The next one is, this is a fun one. I had so much fun doing this. And you're just going to have to yell out the person it is. Name these riders from their nicknames. Southern's up 3-0. Spartacus. Kessler. Dervo gets one back. <laughs> El Grillo. Um, Bettini. Well, ah, Southern, I knew you'd get that. Well done. Tornado Tom. Boonen. Tom Boonen. Oh, Durbo, I thought you were oh. going to get that. Ashes are pretty it. safe now, Durbo. The ashes are safe. They're coming home. <laughs> oh, right. no. El Diablo. Draw. Come on, Durbo. I'll give you this one. El Diablo, the devil. Nah. Think jeans. Think jeans. Go, son. Kierpucci. Kierpucci. Derbo, you ready for this one? This is for you, mate. Yeah. The Lion King. <laughs> Come on. You had spinaches with the Lion King on. The Lion King. What, like 
Cipollini. Well done, Derbs. He's there. I don't know if you will know this one, Southern. I found this one interesting. The Professor. Dorofino. Oh, well done. Fignon. Yeah. Uh, this is an even one. The Badger. Oh, Hino. Jaja. Jalabert. Mr. 1000 Volts. Taki. Maddio. Mark Maddio. How good's that nickname? Wow. Never heard it. Is it self proclaimed? <laughs> Are you ready? This is going to be a tough one. The Shark. Oh, Nibali. Well done, Devo. The Pirate. Antony. The Engineer. Durbo, this was a, this was a bit of a tilt of the hat to you, mate. You've actually worked with the engineer, Simon Clark. <laughs> <laughs> He's Italian. I've worked with him. Oh, Nadello, Panotti. Couple more. El Falco, Il Falco, Salvadelli. Well Salvadelli. The Green Bullet. Oh, thought you guys would have got this. Not Valverde. Retired last year. year. Valverde. Well done. And I've got two left. De Kaiser. Come on, Durbo. You went dressed as him the other to Mitch's uh, ride. De Kaiser. Oh, oh yeah. Um, uh, but Auric. And last one, Perito. Rodriguez. His nickname. Do you know why he's called Perito? Yeah. Why? Small cigarette. It was like he was near pro, and the guys like try to tune him up on a climb. And he was just held the wheel the whole way to the top and then looked back and like he was smoking a small cigar. <laughs> That's exactly right. But even better, the gesture was not welcomed by his teammates who made him smoke a real cigar in the evening. Last one, guys. To close us out, Giro di Lombardia is just around the corner, the final um, monument of the year, the last race of the year. Who has won it the most times? Is it A, Sean Kelly, B, Philippe Joubert, Eddie Merckx, or Falso Copy? Joubert? Southern? Copy. Five times, no? Something like that. Oh, well done, Southern. In the quiz tonight, he is smash you, Durbo. Unfortunately, went a bit too old school, guys. Been great talking. We could have talked all night. It's a long one tonight. Really good to wrap up the season with you guys. Thank you very much for being on the Communique. Derbs, Southern. Pleasure. Enjoy Luxembourg. Derbo, enjoy your holiday. Till next time, guys. Well, guys, there we have it. That was the Communique. If you like that, let me know what you think. That's something we've just been trying out at the end of this year with an idea to put that into the feed next year and slot that in once a month just to catch up what's going on in the world tour, discuss what's happening, give you guys a bit of an insight to what you might want to do with the races coming up, tips, people to watch, whatever it is, who knows, that's the race communicate. I like talking to those two guys, Tom and Luke, because they're just fun guys to chat to and I love hearing about what's happening in that crazy world in the world tour. Big thanks, of course, goes out to Rafa who help us put this podcast together this year and guys as you heard me say in the episode next week is the Everesting episode that silly thing that I did up and down Mount Macedon last week I'm going to put the episode out next week so stick in for that that'll be next week's episode so guys and until then take it easy cheers
The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Cheers, mate.